Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. grateful for the opportunity so thanks to Greg and Chris for that. Um, I'm nervously excited because I just checked my Fitbit and I'm, I'm doing like 120 beats per minute right now. Um, so I'm burning fat as I wait to preach that's kind of that's, that's a big bonus. Um, I just want to tag on to what Rob was saying firstly. Um, he's a man after my own heart looking into the histories. I don't know where you are where are you Rob? Hey there he is. You're a man after my own heart looking into the histories of the Gospels because it's vitally important. Sometimes we we have this kind of wishy-washy thing where the the Bible story is one thing and then history is this other thing. And we really need to see how the truth of Jesus is rooted in reality, in truth, in history. Um, It's been a real journey of mine. I'm going to be really honest. It's a weird way to start a message. But I'm going to be really honest and say that I am a habitual doubter. I'm a shocker, actually. And I've spent the lion's share of my adult life doubting about some of the most fundamental things um, that I would say that I, I believe. I'm not saying that's true right now, but that is true of a lot of my adult life. It's important for us to be able to really investigate these things. I want to encourage you today that when you seek out the histories of the Scriptures, there is great hope to be found. There is great hope to be found. I also want to say that in church... This is a place of faith. This will always be a place of faith. But that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to share and bring your doubts. Please feel free to speak with Chris, speak with me about things that you might be wrestling with. Because if you're anything like I have been for most of my adult life, you're wrestling. And that is okay. I just wanted to say that. I hope it's all right for me to say that. Cool. Um, Now, moving into what I wanted to talk about. It's going to tag a little bit on to what Lois was talking about last week, about resolutions. Because this is about how... Ah, there she is. Hello. Um, this is about how hard it is to do the right thing or the best thing. It's like, as humans, we really, really struggle to actually follow through with the things that we, we want to do or we say that we want to do. Um, I take this to a bit of an extreme, this whole resolutions thing. So, New Year's resolutions are one thing, and that's great, and that's fine, and I've failed at most of those as well. But I do like new week resolutions, or new month resolutions, or new minute resolutions, or whatever. And I'm always messing with stuff and experimenting with stuff in my life. And I can see my wife just ready to laugh because there's some stories coming up. Um, Just before we moved here, I had a bit of a crisis, again, doubt of it I am trying to wrap my head around how on earth I can leave a salaried job where I make pretty solid money and and step into a ministry job where I make not pretty solid money and still be okay, still provide for my wife, for my future family. And I turned to a business idea. I had this golden idea that I was going to lay this golden egg that was going to give me passive income and then I could step into ministry and everything would be sweet. The money would be flowing 
and everything's going to be great. So I hatched this plan. I won't go into details because we don't have time. It had something to do with an app, just like all modern entrepreneurism. Um, and it was for churches, and it was actually a pretty solid plan with one fatal flaw. But before I found the flaw, I made a promise. And this, this promise um, had consequences. I'd, I'd started giving myself goals and setting incentives or disincentives for the goals that I set. So in other words, I would say, all right, by such and such a time, I will do such and such a thing or I will suffer such and such a consequence. Um, such is my desire to get certain things done. So I said I, I need to have a certain number of users in the test environment of this app by December 10th, 2015. So this is rooted in modern history. And my, my wager was this. My wager was, if I don't have this environment set up with this many users by December 10th, 2015, I will strip down to my jocks and run from my home to Costco in Melbourne. It's about a kilometre across main roads, the works. I'm talking like crowded suburban Melbourne and then run back home. I really, really wanted to make sure I didn't fail. So, much to my joy, I failed. Um, and the, 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 time, the day of reckoning came and I realised that my word is my bond and I had to do this thing. So, my wife is my witness. I wish... I. I have a video, but I didn't bring it because church is PG and we're going to keep it clean. But I did do this thing. I stripped down to red underwear. I don't look pretty with my clothes off, so it wasn't a nice thing to, to, to experience. Um, I put another pair of boxer shorts on my head because I figured if I'm going to do this, I might as well have fun. And then I put some big bright red glasses on so nobody could recognize me quite so easily. And I went for a run to Costco and I turned around and I ran back. Now, all this time, my wife is in the car because she just couldn't believe that I was doing this. She drove me down the road, released me to do my crazy run, and then followed me while pretending to not know who I was. So I'm like, oh, hello, hello, trying to point at her and say, oh, I know you, you're my wife, just because I wanted to share in my pain, you know. Um, so I've done some pretty crazy things to try and, try and get myself moving to try and get the things that I, the changes that I want to have, the changes that I want to see, to make them a reality. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, another thing that I did, just very quickly, I, I tried this crazy sleep thing. And that is, if anyone's seen Seinfeld, where um, Kramer goes on this little two hours a night sleep thing, which he borrowed from, I don't know, Leonardo da Vinci or someone, I actually did it for two weeks. And um, I'd read a lot about the sleep cycles and some people really like to hack them. You can read about it. It's actually a thing. It's also a stupid thing, <laughs> but, but it's a thing. So I tried that. I'm, I'm willing to try anything. And uh, the results were quite devastating. I was very, very tired. I was seeing things. It was kind of crazy. But anyway, um, the point is, changes are hard. Changes are really, really hard. I have a constant need for water, unfortunately. Now, as I look around at the world, I notice that this struggle is universal. This struggle is real, as they say. 
And, and we're a very weird bunch. We're very, very good at certain things and we're pretty terrible at other things. One of them is making changes in our lives on our own strength. And I look at what we've been able to achieve as humanity in the last 50 years. It was almost 50 years ago that we landed men on the moon. That's pretty amazing. And now today, oh, thank you, catering for my, my great need. Now, uh, it's gone past the moon. The, the great entrepreneurs of today, I don't know if you follow Elon Musk and SpaceX and all the rest of it, these guys want to go to Mars, colonise Mars, put people on Mars, so that if all of this stuff goes belly up and we get hit by an asteroid or something, um, we've got, you know, a few hundred people left on Mars to, to go forth and multiply. Um, now, these same people, what I, what I notice about these same people, which is just hilarious to me, is that the very same people who are able to do these incredible things aren't able to do the very simplest of things. For example, Elon Musk will openly admit that he is a hopeless dad. That's really sad. He's the guy who's shaping the future. He's like the new Steve Jobs. And he has his kids on his knee while he texts his business associates, while he drafts new projects on his smartphone. And he shares that shamefully. He shares it as a thing that he laments, but it's like he can't change that about himself. He can do all of these amazing complex things, but he can't change the very fundamental basic things that will matter most in the long run. Now, I want to suggest that this problem, this struggle that we have, isn't what we think it is. We talk about not being able to do the things that we want to do. I'll talk about, you know, I want to, I want to get up early in the morning, but I just can't. Or I want to shed a few Christmas kilos, but I just can't. Actually, I don't think our wants are the problem at all. I think our wants are the cause. All you've got to do is look at the person who doesn't want to wake up in the morning or who says they want to and they don't, and one desire just beats another one. I desire comfort. I desire to stay in bed for another eight minutes so that my snooze button can go off, my snooze thing. So that desire beats the other one. So I want to start with this odd idea that actually it's our desires that are imperfect. Humanity is so broken because our desires are all muddled up. God has a design for us. We know from the very beginning of Scripture that He created us very purposefully and lovingly as free people. And we've kind of muddled up the whole desires thing. They're all in the wrong order. And I, I just think it would be really great. I think it would be really great if there was some way that our desires could be set right in God's beautiful design. Now that is a thing that we're going to talk about. It sounds like something that God would want to do something about, this thing of um, human weakness and, and brokenness. It sounds a lot like something God would want to change. Now, we're going to turn, this is an unusual message, so please follow me, follow me through this odyssey. We're going, to, we're going to travel to a few different spots here. 
God's solution to this is very surprising and it's hit me very hard over the last five years as I've studied it. We're going to look at the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus and what on earth it has to do with our brokenness in this way. I want to ask you a question and I don't want you to answer out loud or write anything down. I just want you to hear your own gut answer and just follow it away for 10 seconds. My question is, what was the main message that Jesus preached while he was on earth? Seems like a really fundamental question. What was the main message that Jesus preached while he was on earth? Now, I won't single anybody out. I can imagine. You can put your hand up if you're feeling really interactive. Some of you probably thought, love. Absolutely. That's my gut answer. Love. And it's a beautiful summary of everything that God demonstrates to us. Some people who know the Scriptures a little more might even say, love God and love people, which is a beautiful summary of Matthew 22, where Jesus is challenged, you know, what's the interpretation? What are are the greatest commandments? And He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the whole law. That's a very good answer. Some people might think, do unto others what you would have them do unto you, from Luke chapter 6. Also a very, very good answer. But if you ask... Now, give me, a, give me a chance here. If you ask a scholar of the Bible this question, there are some things that scholars know quite well. If you ask a scholar this question, they'll all give you a very different answer to this love message. Now, please hear me. The love message truly is central to what Jesus taught us. I'm not undermining any of that. But what we see in Mark chapter 1 is very interesting. If we could bring up Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what we see is that the way He launched Himself was in, well, let's just read it. Mark eleven fourteen to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What's this gospel of God? This is interesting. If we just look at this scripture, we can actually find it. It's not buried deeply. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's heavy. Sounds heavy anyway, when we hear the words. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It sounds very intense. Now... The really interesting thing about this is that this was the good news that Jesus continued to preach, this gospel of the kingdom. When we hear the gospel today, and again, I'm not undermining a word of what we talk about as the gospel, about our personal salvation from sin and death and hell, it is central to the Christian faith. But this gospel of God, this kingdom message was also central in the Bible's message. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. 
as he's entering his ministry, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We see it there, we see it later in Matthew 4.24, when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The gospel of the kingdom. When he spoke in parables, very often, almost most of the time, he was trying to explain to people what this thing even is. What is this kingdom of God? We look at the parable of the mustard seed in Luke chapter 13. We look at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. The pearl of great price, the wedding feast. Those of you who've read a lot of the Gospels will be familiar with these parables. And they're all about the kingdom. Now, after Jesus, the trend continues. Jesus dies and is resurrected and he comes back with something very important to talk to the disciples about. We see, if we've got Acts 1.35, we see he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to come back in just a second. But we still are left with this question. What is this thing? What is this thing that Jesus, God made flesh, came to share with us called the kingdom of God? I don't want to geek out on Greek, because only I would enjoy that. But there's a word for the kingdom, which is basically every instance of the kingdom in all of Scripture. And it means something quite surprising. The word behind this word, kingdom, is such a key word in the Bible's message that I had to bust it out. Basileia. This is abstract, so I'll need a few minutes of intense brain power from you, and then we'll lighten it up a little bit. Royal power, kingship, dominion, and rule. Not to be confused with an actual kingdom or worldly kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule. Isn't that interesting? This word, kingdom, behind the Greek text of all of the Gospels is about the right or the authority to rule. It's actually not a body of people. It's not a, a kingdom in the way we'd imagine, you know, great thrones and, and medieval stuff. It's a kingdom in that it reigns. It's a kingdom in that it is in charge. So this again, is still a little abstract. So I'll clarify it, and this is where it gets really good. The kingdom is Jesus in charge of the world. Now that sounds like something that you're not seeing on the outside, but here's the kicker. Right now, that takes a particular form. God rules humanity from the inside. 
Luke 17 says the kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that a wild thought? Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's powerful. That's powerful. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, 3 to 5, that last line says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This Holy Spirit does fall in Acts chapter 2 and he changes absolutely everything. The same Spirit that lived in Jesus was made available to you and I to dwell within us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead was put inside of us to rule and reign. This is God's way of changing the world. Kind of a wild way of changing the world, right? Why not set up governments and military power and conquer? Remember what we were talking about at the beginning where it's really hard to make changes and our desires are all kind of mixed up? If you rule somebody from above and you give them a list of rules and regulations, what changes in here? What about my desires or my wants changes even one bit? God wants to transform our desires to turn towards Him. His answer, now this, please hang on this for a moment, this is so, so beautiful as a truth of Scripture. His answer to our brokenness, His answer to the human condition is to put His Spirit within us as something that we can willingly enter into and allow Him to do all the change. If we just desire Him, the very first desire of our hearts, if we desire Him, then all our other desires can be ordered and rightly transformed. Now, again, being brutally honest, so much of our lives as Christians is performed out of duty. We do stuff that we're nowhere, we know we're supposed to do. Often, if we're reading the Bible, it's because we know we're supposed to read the Bible. Or if we're praying, it's because we know we're supposed to pray. And we don't... Again, I'm sorry to paint with such dark strokes with some of the things that I'm saying today. But a lot of the things that we do for God, we don't actually do very willingly. We're kind of fighting ourselves. We're fighting these desires. Some desires, the lesser desires, are beating the greater desires that God would want for us. I know that I should love and enjoy prayer and reading the Bible, and I, I often do, I very often do now. That's been a journey. But for a lot of my Christian life, I have to admit, it hasn't been a joy, and I've done it out of duty. Now, here's why this kingdom of God, this ruling us from the inside, where we say yes to Jesus and we say, you are in charge, this is why it matters so much. I want to read a quote by the great C.S. Lewis, who probably everybody knows because he wrote Narnia series and some other awesome stuff. But as well as being a fiction writer, he was an incredible theologian and teacher. And he says this on duty. 
perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and of other people. Like a crutch which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times. But of course it's idiotic to use the crutch when your own legs or our loves, our tastes, our habits, etc., can do that journey on their own. A perfect man would never act from duty. Wow. <laughs> I find that very challenging. If I had a dollar for every time I did something to do with my faith because I felt like it was what I was supposed to do, I would be a very, very rich man. He goes on to say, morality or duty, what some would call the law, never yet made a man happy in himself or dear to anybody else. It is shocking, but it is undeniable. We don't wish either to be or to live among people who are clean and honest and kind as a matter of duty. We want to be and associate with people who like being clean and honest and kind. The mere suspicion that what seemed like an act of spontaneous friendliness or generosity was done out of duty subtly poisons it. In philosophical language, it's self-destructive. Morality is healthy only when it is trying to abolish itself. In theological language, no man can be saved by works. Rules and regulations and religion are not enough. Religion is not enough. I thank God that I'm in a church that sees this and knows this. That we are more free than this, that we live mindlessly as drones who are told to do certain things. And the way that we satisfy God is by doing those certain things. If we want to display God's love and compassion to the world, which is obviously the mission of us as followers of Him, is to be more like Him, share His love with the world, we're not going to do it through duty. We're not going to do it through doing what we're supposed to do against our will. Again, sometimes we'll have to do this. But for our desire to be turned towards God, more than it's turned towards anybody else, this is the goal. This is the beautiful and glorious goal. It turns out this is the fulfillment of the very thing that the Old Testament cried out for. The prophets cried out for this. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34, this is the covenant that I make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. This is the world that God wants to build through us, as we say yes to Him above everything else, that we would spread this love, this contagious love of Jesus, almost like 
a virus that does good instead of harm. This is how the kingdom of God works. Actually, that same scripture in Luke 17, where it says the kingdom of God is within you, it even says that if someone says it's here or it's there, then they don't understand it. If you think you're seeing it in the material world, then you're not seeing the kingdom. The kingdom is Jesus is the king of my life. Nobody tells me what to do but him. So we land with that truth. This allows God's ways to be written on our hearts, to rearrange all our messed up desires and to love him first. Our love for Jesus, genuine, deep, heartfelt love for Jesus is like the lead domino that sets all else in motion. Maybe this understanding of the word kingdom will help you to see what power there is in this verse that probably most of us know already. Seek first the kingdom, the inner rule of God and His righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you as well. Isn't that powerful? We seek Him first and then our desires, our wants, the things that we will after are all rearranged now this is a very challenging message and I don't mean for it to be heavy it's actually a really beautiful life-giving powerful message it's challenging because it makes us ask the question do I really love Jesus more than I love anything else is that actually the number one desire of my heart do I want him more than I want success, more than I want comfort, more than I want relationship. But He doesn't want to take any of those things away from you. (laughs) He wants to give you all of the good things that your deepest true heart desires, but in His order and in His time. And the beautiful thing is that as we spend time with the Holy Spirit, these things can come to life. We can make a high priority out of spending time with the Holy Spirit in prayer. It's not about winging out and going strange and, um, you know, talking in riddles that people can't understand. It's, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues by saying that. But you don't have to be weird when you're spending time with the Holy Spirit. It's a very natural thing to put God first and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Remember that your salvation is not just for you. Again, challenging. But God's kingdom will change the whole world if only His people will start to live in this deep love. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that new world that God is trying to build. So talking about applying all of this, there's a short daily prayer that would bring all of this to life. And I discipline myself the few things that I can get myself to do. One of them is this. A short daily prayer. Lord, I love you and I trust you. You are in charge. 
not my will, but yours, O Lord. Those same words that Jesus shared in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified. That is the heart of someone who's living in the kingdom of God. Living under the rule of the Spirit of God. Lord God, not my will, but yours be done. So, all of this has been about one word, the kingdom. It's the cure, and I'm sorry to make it sound so dramatic, but it's just what the Bible teaches. The kingdom is God's cure for our broken world. Christ at work in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Thanks, Lottie. Jesus in charge of our lives from the inside. His spirit within us, transforming us into his very image. All we need to do is love him enough to swap seats with him and let him drive. I want to be a happy passenger (laughs) and I want to let God drive. Let's pray together. Should we stand? Let's stand. God, I thank you for your gift of life. I thank you that you not only do the glorious work of salvation, when we come to you and we give our lives and our hearts to you, you deliver us from our sin and death and even from the gates of hell. But you also deliver us into this kingdom, this day-by-day reality where you are at work and alive and in charge inside us. Lord, I pray right now that you will make this kingdom a new reality, a fresh reality within those of us who believe. Help us to see, give us eyes to see the beautiful truth of your word, the love that you have in your heart for us and all of this planet. Let it saturate us. Lord, when you were asked, what are the greatest commandments? Your answer was quick. It was easy. To love the Lord your God and to love neighbor. Help us to love you first, Lord God. Help us to love you above all else on this earth. those who don't believe, if you're passing through, that's fine. Welcome. We're so, so glad you're here. If you would like to pray with us after the service or even right now, you can come to the front. Myself or Chris will speak with you and pray with you. Or if you don't feel comfortable coming to the front, please just come and talk to me one-on-one. We'll be mingling and having coffee and stuff like that later on. But I just want to close with that prayer. Lord God, make it a cry 
above all else so that you can put all this other mess that we have around us in us in its place for those who don't believe again I just ask you if you have the courage to just repeat this in your mind or out loud and then speak with us after Lord God I want to know you I want to see you I want to experience you in my in my life for real I pray that you would take control this is a hard prayer in today's world I pray that you would take control of me and my life and my desires and today I choose to put you first set me free from myself set me free from my desires and put your desires aside thank you thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church we hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk Please tune in again for next week's message.